Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Man. He must want to preach sometime soon. <laughs> so last week, uh, I'm a little bit loud. If you can turn, turn me down, I think, Ray, just a little bit. Uh, last week, we looked at the glory of the king in chapter uh, 17. We looked at the transfiguration, and hopefully you guys were blessed by that. Your life groups were blessed. Uh, I know that I was blessed. I hope that you guys have still been wrestling with it and thinking about how his transfiguration, how him being changed, how that affects you being changed, you being transfigured. And all week it felt like I was constantly thinking about the facade, you know, what people see versus who I really am, what I even see versus who I really am. Um, the end of chapter 17, you know, when you look at your life group uh, uh, scriptures, it didn't say just chapter 17, a few verses. It said the whole chapter. So hopefully you read through it. But it ended after the transfiguration. Jesus comes down and he meets a man who has a child who uh, has seizures. He's, he's epileptic. And he has these seizures. And the father comes and says, Jesus, help me. I talked to your disciples. They couldn't do anything. And there's this, this individual boy or this individual family that had a need. And Jesus heals, right? And Jesus tells his disciples, you know, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So we have this mountaintop experience where he's transfigured. And there's all this glory. Then you come down the mountain where people still have issues. Somebody say amen. amen. But Jesus is the, uh, the answer for our issues, right? So Jesus heals. He tells the disciples, hey, prayer and fasting. Uh, then uh, the end of chapter 17, thank you, Raymond, for, for sharing it, uh, is this, this moment where they're at the temple and they come asking, you know, does your master, does he pay his temple tax? Does he invest into the kingdom? Is he doing anything for the church or is he just out there preaching and teaching? And he has this conversation with, uh, with Peter about it, and he says, but we are going to give. We are going to invest. We are going to be a part of what God is doing in the church, with the church, in this portion of the community. And now this morning, as we move into chapter 18, we're going to go further in that direction. The title of the message this morning is Kingdom Community. Kingdom Community. And if you read through 17 and what we're going to cover today in 18, you'll see that God is concerned with community. I want to tell you right up front that I think this is going to be very, very challenging for, for us as a church, um, you as an individual, us as a church. But I also believe that for where it is that God wants to take us, that this is going to be a critical message, that this is going to be something that will matter for how the church grows and whether or not it grows with, with health or whether or not it grows um, with issues. And I want us to be healthy. Somebody say amen. 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 So we see uh, Jesus transfigured. 
And we realize that he's more than what we could see initially. Then we realize that we too are more than what we've seen initially and more than what others may see of us. But the question this morning is how do we see the community of believers? How do we see the church as a whole, right? All over uh, America and all over the world, how do you see the church as a whole? How do you see this church as a community that's part of a city, that's part of a state, that's part of a nation? How do you see your actual church? How do you see the way? What is your, your vision or your, your understanding, the transfiguration of the Lord, the transfiguration of the individual, but then the glory of the community, the glory of the church? How often do we think about it? Your life groups are like community action groups. <laughs> Any community has action groups where they say, there's certain things going on and we are going to band together a small group of people from the community and we are going to uh, attack those issues. So when you get together as a life group, you're dealing with uh, certain struggles that individuals in that group are having. You're dealing with um, certain needs that are, are becoming uh, visible within that community. Sometimes we're dealing with sin. Sometimes we're dealing with blessings. Sometimes we're dealing with financial needs. Whatever it is, it's like a community action group, a community within the community with specific things that you need to attack. Imagine, though, if in that community only one person was doing all the cooking. Imagine if within that community only one person was doing all the talking. Then you don't really learn as much about community as you could. You don't wrestle with the issues that need to be wrestled with. It needs to be a healthy community. Somebody say amen. amen. We're learning these things, I think, as a group. We think we're learning these things as a church. Again, I appreciate, Raymond, your, your passion and your fervor, talking about how you're over Bible study. <laughs> I'm like, hey, slow down a little bit, bro. It's, hey, two months. Don't forget how you got here. Just kidding. <laughs> but he's right. You see it differently. You know, as, as he was talking, I thought, oh, it's so funny to me because while I've been teaching Bible study, I've been able to see some of those things, people growing, people wrestling, people uh, seeing things they've never seen before. But it's different. Like he said it himself, when you're up here, it's different, right? But now in these small groups, people are seeing that in a more intimate way seeing that uh, on a weekly basis in their own lives, with their own ears and with their own eyes. It's special. But as we're learning these things and we're looking at these life groups, isn't it interesting how uh, society as a whole, though, is going away from community? Society today, 2019, Southern California, it's not about community. It's about isolation. It's not about opening up. It's about isolating. It's not about the needs of others. It's about your needs being met. Turn on the TV, watch a commercial, listen to advertisements. It's all about how can you be better? What can you have? What do you not have that you need? What do you not have that you deserve? <laughs> what do you have to do to make sure that your needs are met? Most people are focused on themselves and at best maybe focused on their family. And I think religion is experiencing the same thing where it's no longer a focus on the community. It's where can I go to get what I want? Where, where can I go where I can go when I want to go? Give when I want to give. Say, if I have something to say, all I have to do is, is put out a text message and I'm going to get the microphone. Because it's about me as an individual. It's not about a community. See, a lot of people have seen the glory of the Lord and they've seen him transfigured before their eyes. And because it's natural, what happens after that is you begin to see yourself transfigured. We talked about that last week. But that's where a lot of people stop. 
I've seen the glory of the Lord, and I am forever changed and forgiven. So now I'm going to spend the rest of my life in my glory and in his glory. But that's a perverted glory. God did not intend for you to see him and see yourself and see no other. There's no need for other people. There's no need for a church. There's no need for one-on-one discipleship in that kind of view. So I love my wife. You guys know that. And uh, Valentine's Day is one of the great opportunities where I always have to be able to show her that love and show everybody else that I love my wife more than they love theirs. But this year, she told me a couple weeks ago, she said, I want to hang out with the kids this year on Valentine's Day. And I was like, ugh. Like, it's my day. It's about us. But I thought about it. I was like, hmm, maybe she's, she's trying to say something. This kind of lets me off the hook. I don't have to do anything super special. If she wants to hang out with the kids, we'll hang out with the kids. And then uh, we found out that, that Nairi had her last basketball game as a junior high student. And at the last game, they get walked down by their parents. But the R. Kellens were out of town, so they called us and asked, hey, can you guys be there for her? Can you walk down with her? And I'm thinking, it's Valentine's Day. I don't want to be with your kids. I don't want to be with my kids. I want to be with Mary. (laughs) But we went, and and here's here's what I want to tell you. We had a blast with our kids. We had a blast with Nairi. Afterwards, we didn't go to some special dinner on the beach. We went to Pepe's around the corner. We had potato tacos, then we went to Cineholic and got a little cinnamon roll, and we went home and crashed out by like 7.30. But I thought about it. You know, love, it was never meant to just be a couple's thing. You know, when, when, you, get, when you get into a marriage, it's amazing, and you have this love for one another, but the intent is that a family is going to be created, And that couple turns into a community. And then that community of our family was never meant to just be our family either. Next thing you know, you begin to connect with other families. And their family becomes part of your family. And your family becomes part of their family. It's a community that's growing. And it grows naturally. We actually have to stop it from growing with selfishness. The same is true when you come into a relationship with Jesus. At first, you are just so amazed that you have become what you consider a couple. You're like, oh man, Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. It's so amazing. But what will naturally happen if you don't stop it is that that love that you have just between the two of you will grow into a family where that love is extended. And then that love will grow into other members of a community. Wow, you love Jesus just like I do? And your little community of of friends and family or your family or your life group love him just like me and my community, my family, my life group. Why don't we all love him together? And there's this growth, this multiplication that takes place. And it will, I say naturally, but it will supernaturally happen unless we stop it from happening. I want to pray. Lord, this morning as we look at community, as we look at kingdom community, God, I ask that you would help us to see it the way you see it, that you would show us what your intent always has been and always will be, that you would help us, Lord, when we find ourselves, uh, that you would make us aware 
when we are cutting that off, stopping it, preventing it for whatever reason, Lord, whatever it is that we're afraid of losing, whatever it is that we're afraid of having lack in some area of our life, Lord God, would you give us vision and show us that we will not lose, we will not lack, that through community and through family, Lord, that is how you are going to shower us with gifts, shower us with blessings, that's how you're going to fulfill us in our lives, Lord, all the holes that we have, Lord, you'll use that as a way to meet all of our needs, God. I ask also that you would help us this morning to have open hearts, to have open minds, to be transparent, to be real with you, to be real with ourselves, Lord, and to be real with our friends and our neighbors here in this place, God. There's so much that you want to do, Lord. We don't come into this place afraid of you or afraid of change, Lord. We just need you to stay with us, Lord, to be by our side, to help us through this process. We love you this morning. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
For the lights, all right. <clears throat> so as you see in the video, it talks about community. It's a good thing, increases our health, both physically and spiritually. Um, but let's not think for one minute that community is our idea or our discovery, right? All these doctors and all these groups and the things that we try to do, it's like, oh, we figured it out somehow. There's, there's something to community. There's something to relationship. There's something to not just showing up to church and then running out and then we'll see you next Sunday. There's something to it. We have not figured this thing out. This was always God's idea. Somebody say amen. amen. God loves community. Amen. It's clear once you become a part of a community, that, man, this was always God's idea. You ever, you ever have those, those light bulb or those epiphany moments where you're like, oh, this is what God was trying to do. This is why he set it up this way. This is why he said, don't forsake the assembly. When you find yourself as truly a part of a community, you realize, man, this was his idea. You know, one of the commandments, the first one says, the Lord our God is one, right? You shall have no other gods. The Lord our God is one, but He's also communal by nature. Yes, that's right. We have one God, but he's a triune God. Amen. He's been in community since the beginning. That's the beginning, not since the beginning of time, the beginning. He's been in community since then, and he will be in community all the way till eternity future. Amen. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The idea of him being in community means that we are supposed to be in community. That's how he lives, and that's how we are supposed to live. When we get saved, we do not become part of a couple. We become part of a community of four. Amen. That's why I said earlier, you fall in love with Jesus and you feel like you're married and that it's just the two of us. But it's not just the two of you. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and you. You immediately enter into community. A community of four. When you see the beauty in his community, then you become a part of it. You begin to meet others who are a part of it. You realize that it's miraculous what God is doing through connection. When you look at the world and you begin to see all of its subcultures, right? There's subcultures for food, for fitness, people who love nature. This guy invited me on a hike this week at work. And I was like, man, that's not really my subculture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to hoop, not hike. <laughs> However, there's a subculture for hikers and there's a subculture for hoopers. I got guys inviting me to play on Saturdays. I already play on Thursdays. I, I'm riding a bike now and you would be surprised how many people ride bikes. It, you could pick anything that you think you might want to be into and guess what? There is a community for it already. And then imagine this. When you come into the church and you realize that, man, there is a subculture within the church and it's, it's we often look at it this way, but it's ministries where it's like, oh, man, there's a group that love to pray. I can go be a part of that. There's a group that loves to clean. I, I want to go be a part of that. There's a group that loves to pour into the youth. I want to be a part of it. There's a group that loves to pour into kids. There's a group that wants to lead us in worship. There's a group that wants to go out and reach the lost. There's a group that wants to learn how to teach Bible studies. Like there's so many subcultures. And then on top of that, those ones will consume or weave into them all the other subcultures in the world. It's not just this ministry thing that we're doing as a church. It's like, hey, not only are there people out there that want to hoop, there's people who want to hoop and love Jesus. Amen. There's people who want to eat and love Jesus. Amen. There's people who want to ride bikes and love Jesus. There's people who want to go to concerts and love Jesus. And when you begin to see that God is the creator of all these communities and how he wants to use these communities, man, the possibilities are endless. That's right. 
We don't just become church folks. We become people who can reach others and help them grow in any subculture. But you have to have a healthy culture in the church first. Told you it's going to get real today. (laughs) We're going to make it. Say, I'm going to make it. Say, we're going to make it. It's community, right? Not just I, we. If you're in Matthew chapter 18, say amen. Amen. All right. Verse 1. All right, I'll give you a second. Matthew chapter 18 says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown or drowned in the depth of the sea. Stop there. Verse 6. The kingdom community is built on children. Those who help the children help God and they build up the community. But those who hurt the children are community killers and God will judge them and deal with them accordingly. That's what he says in these first few verses. The kingdom is built on children. It's for children. (laughs) And if you help the children, you are building up the community and you are a blessing. If you hurt the children, you are a kingdom community killer and you will be dealt with. When God says children here, he's not talking about age. He's talking about the character of children. Children don't think of themselves too highly, and they don't judge other people. Naturally, they just don't do it. If you look at children, they don't walk into a place and say, I'm better than half of these people. That person's a little bit better than me, and I want to be like that kid. No, they just don't judge like that. They're typically humble. They're just happy to be who they are. They're happy to be in a group of people. They're happy to show up to school. Niall gets to school, door flings open, and he's running to go be with other kids. We show up to an event, we walk in like like Terminator eyes. Everything's red, and we're judging everybody. Where am I going to (laughs) sit? Who looks like me? Who am I too good for? Like, it's crazy. And God's saying, you can't be like that if you want to be in the kingdom. If you want to be like that, you go be with the world. This is for... Childlike faith. Children have great faith and confidence in their caretakers, in their providers, and in their protectors. If you ask my children, they are not concerned with a roof over their head. They are not concerned with whether or not they're going to get to eat. They might not like the vegan food they have to eat, but they're going to (laughs) eat. They're not concerned with being protected. They know that I will not let any, if I am there, I'm not going to let anything happen to them no matter what. God is saying, that's what I want from my children. They need to know who their caretaker is. They need to know who their provider is. And they need to know who their protector is. That's who the kingdom is made up of. Sons and daughters who know God that way. That's the community. Children are forgiving. As a parent, I have failed my children so many times. But it's like every day they wake up as if they forgot. Dad's going to make it happen today. (laughs) He told me we were getting ice cream yesterday, and he lied. 
He told me we were going to Disneyland this month, and he lied. He told me we were going to go on a vacation, and we didn't go anywhere. He changed it to staycation. <laughs> but how quick are they to forgive? They don't even, you don't even need to explain yourself with kids. They're just ready to forgive and try again. Somebody say amen. amen. God says this is what the kingdom is made up of. Children are pure in heart and pure in mind. How many of us, like a joke, we'll make a joke or the TV will say something and then your kids will laugh because you're laughing and then you're like, why are you laughing? Like, I don't know, because they don't know what it means. Because they're pure in heart. They haven't been changed like we've been changed. And God says, that's what the kingdom is made up of. You get that purity back. You get that innocence back. Children are very simple. You know, we'll, we'll be having talks or conversations. And if you're talking to an adult, you can give them this 20-minute spiel about this situation that happened. And then the adults are going to get real complicated. Well, I, think, I feel like this is what's going on. And I, and I feel like you need to do this and you need to do that. And I, I just keep thinking about Naomi. Naomi is the type where she'll say something like, oh, they're probably just hurting. Somebody probably hurt them, and that's why they hurt you. And it's like, dang. You're so simple, but you're so right. I gave you a 10-minute complicated answer to basically say what you said, Naomi, which is, oh, they wouldn't have done that if they weren't hurting. They wouldn't have acted that way if, if somebody didn't do something to them. God says this is what the kingdom's made up of. And children start off as parent pleasers. When the kids come home from school, whether it's report card, classwork, whatever it is, that you can see it in their eyes, I want to please mom. I want to please dad. My goal is not to go out and make a bunch of money. My goal is not to go out and get the biggest house. My goal is not to go out and get the best education. I just want to make mom and dad happy. Isn't it interesting how we change over time? And God says, I just want kids who want to make me happy. And then he says this, that's what the kingdom is made up of. And if you help them, you'll be blessed and you'll be a grower of the community. But if you hurt them, if you change that, if you try to make them complicated, if you take away their purity, if you make their goals not to please me, but to please you or to please others, you are going to have to deal with me, he says. <laughs> God says kingdom community is about people truly becoming children of God. Anyone who hurts that or causes them to sin is going to suffer. So we've got an idea of what kingdom community looks like. Amen? Amen. Let's go on to verse 7. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Quick reminder, as you read chapter 18, it's all red letters. This is Jesus talking to us. Somebody say amen. So there's definitely an individual application to this uh, portion of the scripture, right? For our lives, my life, your life, that uh, things have to be cut off or plucked out in order for us to enter into heaven. That's a truth for me. I hope you realize that that's a truth for you. However, God is not telling us to actually cut off our feet so that we stop walking into the liquor store. 
right? What he's saying is, however, you might have to take your check when you get it and go to a friend and say, here's all my money. What I need you to do, friend, is pay my rent, pay my car, get me a gas card. Don't give me cash. Get me a gas card that only works at Shell. <laughs> and I need you to hold on to the rest because then I won't go and be able to go to the liquor store and buy liquor. Amen. Right? Cutting off the foot ain't going to help that because you will hobble and limp to the liquor store and do what you got to do. But he's saying spiritually to cut it off, get the money out of your hand. If you can't stop watching porn, he's not saying to pop your eyeball out so you can stop watching porn. What he's saying is you should give your TV away and your computer away and you should be without a cell phone. If you can't stop lying and keeping secrets from your spouse, what he's saying is you need to get one of those apps that everything you do on your phone is done on their phone. And every event you have at your work, they are automatically invited. <laughs> he's not telling you to cut your hand off so you can stop texting people you shouldn't be texting. He's saying do something. Get that out of your life some way, somehow. Prevent that from being able to destroy you and to destroy these friendships and relationships and destroy your own life. However, this morning, God is not talking about us as individuals. He's talking about the community. Amen? Amen. So what's he saying here? I think he's still talking about the people within the church that are having the same type of detrimental effect on the body or the community of believers. See, it was nice when as an individual, it was your eye, your porn, your lies, right? Your inability to manage your finances. But now he's saying, this ain't just about you as an individual. In the church, there are people who are having the same type of effect on the rest of the body. If there's a hand or a foot or an eye that is causing the body to sin, we have to be willing to cut it off or pluck it out. See, at the gate, we're supposed to show up to the gate and say, Lord, let me tell you why we're without a foot and why we're without an eye as the way. <laughs> Here's why we don't have a foot. Here's why we can only see half of the scene. What we're not supposed to do when we get to the gate, it's come running up like this. Lord, we're here. We look great, don't we? And he's like, man, you are riddled with cancer on the inside. You have two legs, two hands, two feet, two eyes, but I can see inside of you and you are riddled with cancer. You're so sick. Your body is so sick. Why wouldn't you cut off that foot when it was gangrenous? Why wouldn't you pluck out that eye when it was distorting everything that I was showing you? You're sick, and you've made people sick. He says, anybody who does that, there's a price to pay. In verse 10, he said, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. He's saying, God is watching. You look good. You look like you're running. You look like you see clearly. 
He says, but I'm watching what's happening to my people in that community. This is harder to do on a community level than it is on an individual level. An individual who really wants to change, right? They'll get rid of the cell phone and the computer if they want to stop watching porn. They'll open up to the women's group or the men's group. Like Raymond said, that group that was sitting there, we were all smiling for the picture, but a few seconds later, we were all crying like, brother, help me. Because if you really want to change, you're going to go and you're going to open up and you're going to expose and you're going to deal with it. You're going to let somebody help you with your finances because you're tired of showing up and saying, I believe that God's going to use the church, but I'll never give. No, if you want to change, you're going to change. And you're going to ask for help and you're going to repent and you're going to expose. But when you're a church, man, it's harder to deal with some of this stuff in community. When you tell someone who's completely convinced of their holiness that you cannot do that in this church, they lose their mind. When you tell someone that they need to consider the family that just walked in for the first time when their desire is to do the worm across the altar, (laughs) you just can't do that. I'm sorry. I don't care if you've done it somewhere else. I don't care if you really feel God when you do it. You can't do that here. When you tell somebody, listen, this person is not nearly as far along as they could be, or maybe even as you are when it comes to skill, but they're still going to lead this ministry because they have the faith of a child. And I need you to actually help them and follow them. That's hard. Much rather deal with individual sin than community problems. Community cancers, maybe is a better way to look at it. When you tell somebody, no, actually, you cannot have that ministry because of moral failure. And no, that is not against the grace of God. That's for the health of the community. Very difficult. See, most people would rather leave or withdraw than change when you get into these areas. But God's talking about kingdom community. I told you earlier, like, when you want to see the way 10 years from now, this will be one of the messages that matter for who we are. Amen. I don't want to be a church. Sometimes I look and I, I it's, you sometimes you just can't help yourself but judge. I don't want to be a church that's running great on Facebook, but really I have cancer. <laughs> I want to be a church that everyone's like, oh, man, I thought you guys barely made out of the starting blocks. You guys were limping and struggling. But then next thing you know, it's like, man, they're healthy and strong and they have a great community. Amen. This is what will determine that. Are you a runner? Are you a hider? Are you a protector? Are you somebody that cannot be spoken to? Are you somebody that doesn't think about community, but you think about individuality? Who do we want to be? I'll be honest with you. I'm committed to growing as slow as it takes to grow healthy. And I'm committed to having as many fights as I have to fight in order to making sure that when we get to, to those gates, We're able to explain what's missing (laughs) instead of trying to explain what's hidden. Let's go on. Verse 11. Jesus says, for the son of man has not come, or excuse me, the son of man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? 
If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. How many of you remember a little while ago we sang a song and we talked about, you leave the 99 for me, remember? Reckless Love, we were just singing a little while ago. How many of you, if you're honest this morning, you were thinking about yourself? You were thinking about when he left the 99 for you. Raise your hand, I see a couple, my wife and Ray. Anybody else? I know that's what I'm singing. You left the 99 because you love me. You were like, I want Vaughn. <laughs> Get over here, boy. We love it. But how many of us were thinking, man, I'm one, of the, I'm one of the 99. Lord, go find them. Go find the one that you lost. It ain't about me today. You already, you already did so much for me. What do, I, what do I need you to come after me again for? There's somebody else. Go get them, Lord. Are you thinking community? Or are you thinking individual? Ooh, it's getting rough. We're going to need to build like a barricade around the altar to protect me on certain messages. Let's get real. Last Sunday, a family came into church, and as soon as worship was over, they bolted for the door. I never saw them, but you know, only a few people, the elders and the wives, called me after church and said, hey, I want to talk to you about this. There's a family here. They left after worship. We tried to reach them. By the time we got outside, they're already in their car. Just want to let you know, only the elders and their wives called me. See, all of us are saved. We enjoyed service, hopefully. We had great life groups, right? We went to life groups and we were wrestling with it. And, oh, the transfiguration. And we're doing all this stuff, right? But how many of us were concerned with the one that went astray? How many of us left asking, man, is it something I did? Is it something I didn't do? See, Sidewalk Sanctuary will go out and we'll fly our cars and we'll go to neighborhoods and we'll feed people in the park. And we'll invite people and tell them, man, there's a place where you can meet Jesus. And then we have prayer ministries that come and they pray over every chair. And they pray for the flyers that went out. And they say, Lord, bring the people in here. They can find you here. They can be loved in this place. And then God says, you know what? I'm going to bring the people there. And then when they get here, some people are more concerned with themselves and what they want to do and how they want to have church than they are with those that the Lord is trying to save. Maybe some of us wanted to do our worm like we do every week, <laughs> not thinking about others. And maybe some of us were so selfish that we just kind of sat where nobody could see us and we did our own thing during worship because we were thinking about ourselves and then we did our own praying during worship because we were thinking about ourselves. And then when meet and greet happened, instead of going to those who we know are feeling isolated because they've never been here before, we go and hug the same people that we always hug or we just stay by ourselves during the all of meet and greet. It's just as offensive to God, right? If you're doing the worm or you're isolated by yourself, God's like, I brought people here to meet me and to be loved. You're the 99. I love you. I want to meet you every week. I'm going to go to your life group this week. But I need you to help me with the one. Such a tough battle to fight with people to get us to see this that it's not an attack on you 
for your spirituality or for where, where you are with God. It's getting an understanding of community, kingdom community. So listen, those people, they may have been scouts for the enemy. And the enemy might have said, look, that worship is too strong and those people are too filled. We got to get out of here. And they went running for the hills. I'm serious. Or they may have been one who was lost that the Lord was trying to reach. They were trying to get out of the grips of the enemy's hands and find freedom. The question I have for us is, are we concerned enough to find out? Because we don't know, but we should be concerned. I was so grateful to get those calls because it reminded me, man, some people are concerned. Let's go on to verse 15. Jesus, still speaking, says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Stop there, verse 20. It's getting serious. It's getting serious. So many of us love Matthew 18, 20. We quote it. We use it. It's like one of the few verses we remember. It says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Isn't it interesting that the context is actually about dealing with sin in the church? It's not just generally whenever we gather. He's not saying, hey, me and Mary walked down the street. There I am in the midst of him. Me and Carmelo went out for lunch. There I am in the midst of him. We know that he's always with us. He lives inside of us. It's so serious that God is saying, when you have to deal with sin in the church, I want you to know that when you gather to talk about it, to pray about it, to strategize on how you're going to communicate with these people, that I am there in the midst with you. I'm right there. You're not going to make it without me. Amen. But you have to do it. Because if you don't, it'll be cancerous and it'll kill everybody. God's not saying throw this out so that you could say wherever you go, wherever you are, there he is. He's saying, look, this is the real deal, nitty gritty. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be one of the hardest things you have to do. But just know you are not alone. I am there in the midst with you. I'm crying when you're crying. I see your nervousness. I see your pain. I see your insecurities. But I'm there. You are going to make it. And you're doing the right thing because it's about kingdom community, not about you and what you want. What a comfort it is to know that his special presence is there in those times. It's hard. It's hard to be a human man or woman in leadership and have to deal with stuff like this because you know your frailty, you know your sin, you know your difficulties, and you're like, Lord, you're still going to use me to have to deal with this in this situation? He's like, I'm with you. I know who I chose. I know who I put in that position. Let's go do what we have to do. 
I'm so glad it doesn't say when you have to do this, good luck and I'll be here when you come out the other end if you make it. <laughs> he says, no, I'll be with you. But look at the progression here. He says, one-on-one, -on -one, somebody sinned, somebody sinned against you, somebody's done something, you go one-on-one -on -one and you talk to them about it. If that doesn't work, you get in a small group and you deal with it and you talk about it. I don't know, maybe like a life group. Then he says, hey, if that doesn't work, you need to bring them before the church. And just so you know, I believe that when he says bring them before the church, he's talking about the elders. He's not saying, hey, service is over, we just had communion, and somebody grabs a mic, hey, real quick, before everybody goes, <laughs> let me tell you about Susie. Let me tell you about Mary. Let me tell you about Raymond. Let me tell No, that's not what he's talking about. <laughs> he's saying, look, I went to this person one-on-one, -on -one and we struggled with something. We talked about it in our life group, and, and we're not making as much headway as we'd like. Hey, pastor, can you get involved in this? Hey, elder, can you get involved in this? Why? Not because we want to blast somebody, because we want to help somebody. Amen. Once a decision is made from that group on a way forward, either repentance is visible, that individual is loosed, as the Bible says, and the process of healing and transformation begins, right? That's what the Lord said. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, right? So you go through that process, and, and maybe the elders might say, listen, we've talked with them. We've met with them. We feel like there's repentance. We've, we've released them. We've forgiven them. We've loosed them of that burden. And now we have this process of healing and restoration. Maybe there's some consequences, right? This doesn't mean there's, there's no consequence, but there's this loosing. Or they come and say, you know what, we've talked and we've done the same thing that you've done and there is no repentance. So their sin is bound to them and they are cut off, released, removed, the cancer divided from the body. That's not easy, but it's what has to happen. I was teaching um, Wednesday night to my family. We've gone through all the, all the life groups and we're having Bible study at home last two weeks with our kids. And I was teaching them about forgiveness and consequences. I said, God will always forgive you, but that doesn't mean that natural consequences are not going to be experienced. I said, your father in heaven loves you. If you come to him and say, I apologize, I'm sorry, I can't believe I did what I did, um, he's going to forgive you every time. But if he told you, don't touch the glass or don't touch the bottle in this example, right, and you touched it, right, God, forgive me, you're forgiven, but the bottle still fell, and it still crashed, and the glass broke, and the water went everywhere. And what you were supposed to have, which is a glass that could, could service you to, to quench your thirst, quench somebody else's thirst, maybe water some flowers, maybe water some potatoes that you could eat later, all that's gone now. You're forgiven, but it's gone. See, when you deal with sin in a community, in a body, there is forgiveness, but there is a cost. I know it sounds harsh, but it's necessary. The story of Jericho, God's moving, God's delivering, they take the land, but one person decided, I want a little bit for myself. And they sinned and they took stuff that they weren't supposed to take and everybody suffered. Somebody say amen. amen. Wouldn't it be nice if our sin was isolated? If I sin, it doesn't affect Mary and it doesn't affect my kids and it doesn't affect the church that I lead. But that's not reality. If I sin, it affects my wife, it affects my family, it affects the ministry, it affects everything. And the same is true for you. Your sin is not isolated. If you're part of a community, you matter. That's right. Amen. 
The gentleman's name was Achan, who decided to take some stuff when they had conquered Jericho. And at the end of it, his whole family and everything that he had accumulated was burned. And the children of Israel suffered defeat in the next battle. The whole community was affected. And that's what God is trying to teach you and teach me. This is Joshua 7:24. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Accor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? Say us. us. Say us. us. Why have you troubled us? The community, the kingdom community, God's chosen people. The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. This is Joshua twenty-two twenty. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. The whole community suffers, and then his own family suffered a great deal. I think God's method for the church today is actually very graceful and very loving. If it's opposed to you get brought before everybody, you get stoned and burned, I'll take having a one-on-one -on -one meeting with a friend. I'll take some of the women in my life group coming, grabbing me and taking me aside and saying, let's deal with this. Or some of the men taking me to a men's group and saying, hey, let's deal with this. I'll take somebody reaching out to the pastor or to, to the elders and saying, hey, this is something that really needs to be dealt with. And then giving you an opportunity to say, look, I want to change, but I'm struggling. Or look, get out of my business. And then being asked to leave the community. I'd rather have that. I think, God, you're so graceful because you don't have to do none of that. You could just zap us. But he's so graceful. He's so merciful because he doesn't want us to suffer. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be healthy. In verse 18, Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I want to tell you that this has been the most difficult part of pastoring for me. There have been times where I've stood up for individuals only to find out that they were bold-faced lying. Where I've said, that's unacceptable. You can't treat this person like that. Not only will we, they not be involved, but our whole church is not going to be involved in, in what you guys have going on. And I really appreciate you attacking one of my people like that only to find out that they were bold-faced lying. Heartbreaking, humili humiliating for me. There have been times where I've held out hope for people time and time again only to find out, man, they're never going to change. Risking my position, because I'm, I'm the pastor, right? So it's really risking my position. It's risking my church. And I've literally said it to the elders and said it to my wife, like, I know this is borderline, but I want it so bad for them. Yeah. Like, we're right there on the cusp of God saying, no, you've gone too far, and you care more about that than you do about my house at this point. Yeah. Now I pray for discernment. Lord, just show me, and no matter how hard it is to deal with, I'll do what you tell me to do. Just give me discernment. And I surround myself with discerning people. Because then it ain't all on me. 
I was just reading in, God, where am I at? I have a couple different Bibles, but, oh, it was in Daniel. Read Daniel chapter 2. I was going to talk to the elders, but now I'm going to talk to everybody about it. In Daniel chapter 2, they come and they're killing all the wise men, and the king wants to know, not only do I want you to give me the interpretation of my dream, but I want you to tell me the actual dream. You got to tell me what I dreamed and what it means. That's like crazy. Nobody's ever asked anything like that. And you know what Daniel did when they came to kill Daniel? They're like, hey, we're going to kill you guys. You guys are wise men too. He's like, ask the, ask the king for a little bit of time. King says, all right, I'll give him a little bit of time. And you know what he did? He went to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he said, hey, guys, this is what's going on. I need you to pray with me. Instead of just himself, he went to a group of trusted men and said, let's get community discernment on this. And then it, it doesn't say exactly what they told him, but a little while later, it says that they got revelation. And then Daniel takes the revelation to the king. Man, community is amazing. It's God's gift, and it's God's way. If you feel compelled to be a judge, if you're drawn towards the job of sin police, then it's probably not for you. <laughs> If you're like, Lord, I think that's my ministry. I think I should identify the sin in people's lives, and then I should hold them accountable for it. And then if they don't want to change, I will be responsible for kicking them out of the church. That's probably not the job for you. I think it's great that friendship, that one-on-one -on -one accountability, that life group community, I think that's the best place to deal with sin in our individual lives and sin in the camp. I think it's those relationships and friendships and marriages that can influence and help people change. And I think it's that kind of friendship that allows you to be able to say, look, man, I've been dealing with this for a while with you. Or look, sis, we've been talking about this for a while. And now it's at the point where if you don't talk to somebody else in leadership about this, then I'm going to. But I'm doing it because I love you, not because I hate you. See, if somebody that doesn't have relationship does that, then it's like it's accusation and it's hate. But if it's somebody who, look, we eat together every week. We love you. We've been friends for a long time. I'm only doing this whether you like it or not because I love you. You need to talk to pastor. You need to talk to pastor's wife. You need to talk to one of the elders. You got to deal with this. They can't say it's because you're judging me. You don't know me. You don't like me. You've always hated on me. They can't say that. God has orchestrated this community thing so beautifully. And think about how much we suffer if we're out of community. Even in the first couple months of this year, some things that not have come to me directly, but things that I'm aware of that people are struggling with, and not just sin, just struggles in life. I have said it more, more than I can tell you. Man, I'm so glad that they're part of a life group. Because I'm glad that somebody else knows about this. I'm glad that somebody else is talking to them. I'm glad that somebody else is praying with them. One of the life groups said that every day, every time they meet, they kind of just take some notes on, on prayer requests and things that the group needs, and then one of the members takes it home every week. And I'm thinking, imagine if that was all on my shoulders. Thank God they have a community where they take that list home and somebody is saying, I'm going to pray for all these 10 people in our group in these particular areas. And not just one person saying, I have this gift. The next week it's somebody else, and they're going to take it home and pray for everybody. God's orchestrating community is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's go on to verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's a lot of times. 
Imagine if you came in for counseling, you came in to talk to me, and you're like, they did it again. Let me tell you what they did. And imagine if I just pulled out my calculator <laughs> and I said, has it been 70 times 7? No? Okay, then you got another one. Go back. <laughs> Can you imagine? God's so good here, though. I believe what he's saying is that we are going to sin and we are going to fail. But if we're truly repentant and we're fighting for change, that we need to make amends. We have to continue to forgive just like God continues to forgive us. He's saying, my brother sinned against me seven times, or I've already forgiven. Seven times I got to do it? No, 70 times seven. What does that mean? Are they repentant? Are they truly sorry? Are they trying to change? Are they fighting for reconciliation? Well, then forgive them again because that's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to forgive you again. So listen, if we've loaned money and not been repaid, we don't have to loan money again but we have to forgive the offender. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean I forgive him because I'm going to give you more money. No, I'm not going to give you any more money, but I forgive you for what you stole from me. <laughs> Maybe God would say, stop loaning and start giving. Amen. Then you don't have to worry about being restored or being repaid. Amen. You've been a blessing and you're free and they're free. If you've been repeatedly cheated on, you don't have to un extend undue faith to that person. But you do have to forgive them and release them. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do my thing. You've proven that, that you keep saying sorry. I'm going to forgive you. I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving you, and I'm going to work on my healing. I don't have to just extend faith to you that you don't deserve, but I do have to forgive you. Release that person from your condemnation. Let them deal with God. If your parents have failed you, you don't have to keep putting your happiness in their hands, but you do have to forgive them and honor them and love them anyway. If your brothers and sisters in the church, if your partners in ministry have failed you and not showed up when they said they would and not done what they said that they were going to do, you got to forgive them, encourage them, and keep on trucking. It's not easy. Believe me. I recognize or I identify with Paul. Paul went on a missionary journey. There was a young man named Mark that went with him. Halfway through, Mark decided he wanted to go back. Paul's like, man, that dude's a buster. I don't want him around. Next time we go anywhere, leave him at home. I ain't got no room for people like that. This is, this is life and death. We're out there on the front lines. And he's going to fake it and turn back? That's how Paul started. You know, later on in Paul's uh, ministry, he said, hey, somebody call Mark. Tell him to come with me, man. That dude's awesome. He's, he's, he's useful for ministry. I like that guy. Bring him. Paul learned the lesson that we all need to learn. Like, you got to forgive. You got to encourage. You got to help people grow. People are going to fail us, and we are going to fail people. Yeah. Forgiveness is a big part of this. Amen. I think this is a good point to remember that Jesus is talking to disciples here. If you're feeling like this is a bit much, please believe me. All those people who are eating fish and eating bread, they've already gone home to go to sleep. He's with a small group of people who are like, man, I'm about it, about it. I'm ready to roll. I left the family behind already. I'm going where you go. When we eat, we eat. If we don't eat, we don't eat. If we got to heal people, we got to heal people. If we can't heal people, we don't cry about it. We come and ask you on the side. Hey, how come we couldn't heal? Prayer and fasting, that's why. Let me teach you something. That's the group that he's talking to right here about all this stuff. Forgiveness for the truly repentant is an important part of the community. 
If somebody is truly repentant, forgive them. So I'm going to close. said it's an important message. It's also been a long one. I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not. These last few verses, they give us a story about everything that's happened in the rest of the chapter. Okay? So cool when the Bible does stuff like this. So here's the story that talks about everything we've learned this morning about community, kingdom community. From verse 23, I'm going to read through the end of verse 35. Jesus says, drink some water. Ah, Living water. Verse 23, Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's like a lifetime worth of money. So much that none of us have it. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. Sounds a lot like Achan, doesn't it? And that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Anybody remember somebody being moved with compassion? Over and over in the Bible where he would see hungry people and would say he was moved with compassion. He would see somebody blind and he was moved with compassion. He would see somebody paralyzed and he was moved with compassion. His master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe! So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So listen, the kingdom, the kingdom community, but the kingdom is about debt that cannot be paid. If you're taking notes, this is a great time. The kingdom is about debt that cannot be paid. The kingdom is about acknowledgement of those debts and a desire to make things right with the one who has been wronged. So picture the kingdom. There's debts that cannot be paid. Then picture a group of people who say, listen, I know that there's a debt, but I want to make it right with the one who's been wronged. You know what that's called? Repentance. I owe something. Whether I can pay it or not, I recognize that I owe it, and I've wronged someone. I've wronged God and I want to make it right. Repentance. The kingdom is about forgiving the repentant because the one who has been wrong knows that they could never pay it off. 
the only option is to forgive them. God's been wronged, and he already knows the only way is forgiveness. Even if you really, really want to make it right, you can't. Imagine when you and I realize that the people that want to make it right with us, no matter how much they want to, they can't. They can't go back and unhurt us. They can't restore what they've taken from us. Even if they apologize or give the money back or do whatever else that they're going to do, that hurt is still there. And the only healing comes through forgiveness. God's amazing. He knew that. And he's tried to teach us. That's the lesson he's trying to teach us about debt. It's that they can't really be paid. They have to be forgiven. So the kingdom being received and forgiveness being received is confirmed by the members of the community becoming givers of forgiveness. So how do you know somebody understands the kingdom? How do you know somebody understands community? How do you know somebody understands forgiveness? It's when they start to give forgiveness the same way that they receive forgiveness. When you wake up and you say, Lord, give me mercy, and I'm sorry for what I've done, and I just need you to forgive me, when you hear people coming to you and looking for forgiveness, you give it to them and you extend it to them. You don't rub their nose in it just long enough to make sure they understand what they've done. No, if you see them in the dark searching and you know they're looking for forgiveness, let me go give it to them. That's how you know you've become a member of the community. His community. Not some other community, but his community. You're looking for people who are looking for forgiveness, and you know where you found yours, and you can't wait to extend it to others. Can you see his community? Is that what you're a part of? Is that what you're longing to be a part of? Is that what you're practicing with your other friends and family? Is that what you're practicing in your life group? Is that what you're practicing in your ministry? And then like we talked about, the difficult part is when the community realizes that certain people are not operating in that spirit, they have to do what they have to do as a community. When the community looks up and says, this person just will not repent. This person just will not forgive. This person just will not reconcile. This person just will not restore. This person is a cancer. And as a community, it's not selfish. We are more concerned with the community than we are with the individual. That goes for the pastor, and that goes for the person that walks in the door for the first time. If you are a cancer and you will not be healed, you have to be removed. You have to be plucked out or cut off. God loves community, but God is serious about the order of his community. He's serious about the health of his community. He's serious about his church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Worship team, would you come? Kingdom community. As we close, I'm going to ask you to pray with me a prayer that uh, is probably familiar. It's from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 14. It'll be up on the screen so you can, uh, you can pray along, but you probably don't need it. Jesus says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Let's all say it together. If you could stand. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15 says, If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think we love to stop at 13, don't we? (laughs) But after what we read in Matthew chapter uh, 18 today, I think verse 14 and verse 15 are so important. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, forgive us as we forgive others. Give us our daily bread. Deliver us from the enemy. Don't don't deliver us to him like, God, you're so good. And then he ends it with, but by the way, (laughs) you only really understand this and you're only really praying this. You've only really received my forgiveness if you're willing to extend that forgiveness to others. That's the litmus test. That's the confirmation. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we know that we really are part of the community. He says, if you can't forgive others, I can't forgive you. And you may not feel this way, but you're just like the servant who I forgave a lifetime worth of debt. And they wouldn't even forgive somebody else a minor debt. He says, how can I forgive you a life of sin and usher you into heaven? But you can't even forgive somebody because they cussed you out or they pushed you away or they took a few dollars from you or they removed themselves from your friendship or they made a bad post about you on Facebook. I can forgive you a lifetime of sin, but you can't forgive that. How can you say you're part of my community? Do you just close your eyes for just a second? I want to talk to anybody in this place That you would say today you're ready to realize that you have a debt to pay for sin that you will never be able to repay. We're talking millions and trillions of dollars. You could work your whole life. You'll never be able to pay it off. That's how much sin costs. And God says he's the one you've wronged. It doesn't matter how much you've hurt yourself. It's not about you. It doesn't matter how many people you've hurt that you've robbed, that you've stolen from, that you lied to that you used and abused, none of that matters. The one who's truly been wronged is God. He created you, he loves you, and you've sinned against him. He says the debt is more than you'll ever make, but today I'm ready to forgive your debt. I'm ready to wipe it away. I'm ready to make the slate clean. All you have to do is truly repent. Acknowledge the debt, apologize for it, and become part of my community. He promises to heal you. He promises to restore and reconcile and take care of all those that you've hurt. But he says, first, you have to accept Jesus because he's already paid your debt. (laughs) He already died for your sins. You have The resource in your account, if you accept Christ, if you repent of your sins, the slate is wiped clean for you. If you're still carrying around debt, if you've never done that before, man, I hope today's the day. Would you raise your hand so I can see you? 
You don't want to try to pay the debt anymore. You don't want to spend the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life trying to get right with God. Today you want to say, pay my debts, Lord. I'm sorry. Pay it for me, please. Thank you. Just raise your hand. What a feeling. Hallelujah. Amen. For everyone else, I'm going to pray and I'm going to open the altars. And here's what the altars are open for. True repentance and true forgiveness. We want the way to be a, a kingdom community marked by true repentance and true forgiveness. It will not be easy. It will not happen overnight. But it's the will of God, so I know it will happen. When we receive communion, it's for that community. So Lord, as we open the altars, we bring our brokenness, we bring repentance, we bring truth, we bring the reality about ourselves and what we've been doing, what we've been involved in, Lord, what we've been hiding, what we've been wrestling with and struggling with. We come to repent. We come to do business with you, Lord, here at your altar. We know it's a holy place. We do not want the community to suffer because of our sins. We don't want to be like Achan, hiding something, Lord, that eventually costs us our own lives and it makes the community to suffer. We want to bring it that you could deal with it, Lord. We also come, Lord, for your help to forgive others. We've been wronged. We've been hurt. We've been shortchanged. We've been, uh, had a lot of things done to us, Lord. But we're reminded today that we do not have a right to hold on to it. We identify with you, which means we are forgivers. We come to the altar to do business with you, Lord. Help us to forgive. Help us to extend to others what you've extended to us. And then, Lord, as we receive communion, let us do it in a special way this morning as members of a special community, God. Excited about the, all the subcultures within it, Lord. Have your way over your people, Lord. Meet us here at this altar. <laughs> this is where you say, when we gather, there you are in the midst. We're coming to deal with sin and we're coming to deal with forgiveness, God. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The altars are open. Communion is open. Amen. I was nowhere you came to my rescue From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me Jesus, you made a way For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.